All right, I got Dustin here today. I have to give Dustin a shout out instead of Nathaniel, but I'm here with Caleb Williams, who is the founder of Better Wealth and the author of The And Asset. What's up, man? How are man, you? it is such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for making this happen. Well, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for taking the flyer. I, I, I want to give some backstory of how we got here because I think it's important uh, to kind of understand. I reached out to you. Uh, liking your content on Instagram, a lot of the stuff you were talking about, using uh, insurance as an yeah. investment vehicle, the and asset notion, really leveraging life insurance as something more than simply just a back-end protection for your family later on, really captivated me. Um, but then you just do great content too. And so you took a flyer and uh, said, yeah, I'll come down and, and chat. And so here we are. Man. You're like, who's this child on Instagram? Yeah. I'm talking about That seems like insurance. a really smart guy though. Like what, <laughs> something's going on, something's weird, man. But so I want to dig into how you you got into yeah. life insurance uh, first, and we'll talk. Obviously, it's gonna be much more than what people think of the basic life right. insurance and vol life and term. It is a lot deeper than that. But you have an amazing story, I think, too, of what sort of precipitated your life getting to here. So I'd love Caleb if you share a little bit about yeah, who you are. I, I think I think to really set the stage, we have to go back to you know Caleb, who's 12 years old, okay. oldest of six kids. My dad's a PhD molecular biologist. My mom, stay-at-home mom, uh, was had a nursing degree, and uh, I wanted to be my dad until I took biology for the first time. I was like, you know what? Not not not, not, okay. my, not not going to be in my future. And so um, I I was a just to, again to set the stage on who who I was. Very short for my age. My younger sister was taller than me. Very insecure. Also struggled with reading. So I I'm like also very self-aware. So self-aware kid, 12 years old, sister's taller, making sure everyone knows that, you know, <laughs> she's my younger sister that looks older than me. And uh, I remember one day, you know, I'm, I'm with, with my peer group at a, at a Christian camp. And I remember getting on stage and I had stage fright, hated talking. Mm. I know that's shocking to you mm. right now, mm. but just was very insecure. And I had to remember two lines and I totally blanked. You did. Yeah. And what made matters worse is I actually wrote the two lines down on a note card. And I remember pulling out that note card and sounding out every single word. I can't tell you what the play was all about. I can tell you like how horrible and miserable I felt mm. walking off that stage. And my mom the next day, I came to her in tears because I thought my world was ending, you know. Um, and she's like, Caleb, the things that you can't control, don't worry about. Mm. Your identity is not in your height. Your identity is not in your looks, you're you, like, you can't, like, you can't do anything about that. So don't worry about it. Mm. Things that you can control. And she like leaned in on the things that I struggled with, like my reading things you can control. You, you need to work harder. You need to go all in on. And that was like very much the framework of like now, like now it's very easy to blame, you know, politics and people and like it's so it's we, we we get so caught up on the things that we can't quote unquote can't control but there's so much that we can control absolutely so much that we can do and like we live in some of the, the greatest time to to wherever you are whoever's listening to this whoever's watching this like you were living in the greatest time with the greatest resources to get to the next level and um and that was really like the the foundation that i was like you know what i'm gonna start taking control of my life all right, so Caleb, I want to flash forward a little bit in your timeline, man. Um, obviously, that was a pivotal moment at 12, but a, a lot has happened uh, in the last 15 years as well. So give me a little bit more of your, you know, going up, growing up as a... Yeah, so I had this yeah. insecurity of like, if, if you would have told me like my greatest accomplishment would have got, you know, get accepted into college because I was homeschooled. So I, I didn't really know where I stood, uh, all of that. Um, but I, I got a job at a chicken farm. Okay. I gutted chickens. And I made a dollar for every chicken that I processed. Whew. Fifteen years old. I know it's very prestigious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm processing chickens, and I read two books that okay. were huge for me: Good to Great and The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm. Two great books: Good to Great, Jim Collins, How Great Companies. You were know, these talk about recommended to you, or how did you come um, my across? My dad was reading Good to Great, and he's like, Caleb, I think you would enjoy it. It was actually my first nonfiction book I've ever read. I forced myself to read, and then Richest Man in Babylon. I saw someone present on it, and I was like, man, like this is. I was always fascinated about wealth. Okay. And so, like those two things, I remember 15, 16 years old, just just like writing down on, in my in my journal, I want to be a Fortune 500 CEO of a company that helps people with money. Well, so I, I'm curious, like if I could unpack that a little bit, yeah. what inspires you at that age to go, I want to be this, right? That's oh, a big, that's grandiose. I, uh, even, even though I had these insecurities, I always was very mature, competitive, and I, and I wanted to be successful. I didn't know, I didn't necessarily know what that meant, but like, I didn't want, I wanted to be successful because I think I was afraid of failing. Mm, okay? okay. And, and so I just like, I wanted to like do something and I, and I'm fascinated with money. 
like even before that I, I baked bread and sold it and like I was always fascinated with how money works and I always liked accumulating and like uh, my parents were not entrepreneurs but I, I was just very, very fascinated by that okay. and working at the chicken farm I started making money and I started just seeing how everything works and then I saw my team members blowing all their money and I'm like why is everyone broke? Like, this is so exciting to me, and why is everyone broke? So I'll fast forward another. Yeah. Um, so from there, I was like, okay, I want to learn about this whole money sp game. And so what what a perfect job to get than work at a bank. And so I remember w meeting with a guy who was actually on the board of Community First Bank in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. And we sit down with him. I'm super nervous to meet with him. Mm -hmm. This tells you the power of connecting and relationships. And uh, I sit down with him, and within like five, ten minutes, he's like, young man, you need a better job. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's picked up his phone. He picked up his phone and, and made one call, got me a job as a teller at Community First Bank at 17 years old. Okay. And that there, and I, I, I'm a avid fan of reading and learning. I'm listening, listening to podcasts. And so I know at 17 years old, I know that I, I could care less about the money. So I was making $8 an hour, $8 an hour, but I had an opportunity to learn how to interact with people. Mm learn how to face my fear of answering the telephone, trying to spell your name. Um, and I, I also learned everything about marketing, about loans, about investing. And so from there, it was an amazing platform to really grow. Um, well, so is it, for you, is it about, I don't, I don't believe just from what I know from you, it's not about the accumulation of wealth. I think it's about the utility of money that right. attracts you. So what is it about how money can be used that was appealing to you as a 17-year-old? Well, it really early on, again, it was I had this insecurity of not amounting to much, of, okay. of failing. So I think early on, the, the motivator was I didn't, I didn't want to fail. I wanted to be successful, not not to serve people or love on people better, just just out of like not wanting to let my parents down. Mm. And um, and I, that changed because I, I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I was an avid fan of TED Talks. And I think early on, again, 17, 18, 19 years old, like I'm starting to learn about myself, about life. I'm realizing that, wow, I lived one fourth of my life potentially, and I'm 20 years old yeah. like that that was that was like very like interesting and then I started looking at people that were quote-unquote successful in our hometown and I was just like do I want their life and do I like is that something that I actually want and I just started seeing the brokenness of people financially yeah. and one of the best things that happened to me is I was very interested in how the investment game worked and so I got to work at as our investment assistant when I was 18 years old so essentially I was like the the, the assistant for our investment advisor, and that was amazing. And then fast forward, um, when I was 19 years old, the person that was running our bank's investment department left, and I became one of the youngest people, the youngest person I, I know to date to take over a full uh, bank. At 19? At 19 years That's old, crazy. full full investment department. And like from there, that was like the key that literally opened up so many opportunities. And then one of the best things that I did is I didn't have a direct mentor, and I just asked people, to mentor me that were way smarter mm -hmm. and and from there it just compound what well, i'm sure the receptiveness i mean people will be surprised when you ask somebody for a mentorship or yep. ask somebody for help how willing other people are to help there's like the, and i i suffer from this sometimes as well you're afraid by asking that they're going to think less of you or yep. somehow they're too too busy for you most people in positions of success and influence are more than willing to help, totally. right? But it, I don't know what it is about that stigma of being scared to even ask. You've been the beneficiary yeah. of being willing to ask. I'm, I'm curious though, 19 years old, I gotta, I gotta, I wanna make sure people heard that. You're 19 yeah. years old, you're basically running the investment arm of yes. this bank. Yes. Did you did you have a little imposter syndrome at that yes. time? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is impossible not to, but were you just because maybe you had a certain level of acumen, you had a little bit of experience, and you just had some confidence? So or how were you able to, to execute? Simon Sinek. Okay. Simon Sinek, if you're watching this. He is. Changed, I'm sure he is, yeah. He changed my life. Um, <laughs> the start with why concept was really profound to me. And I, I had a mission statement that still hangs on in my wall this day. It says to help people see and reach their highest potential. So er, so there was that 17, 18 years, it's something shift to be like, okay, I'm no longer going to work out of scarcity and fear. What if I could work towards something greater? Okay. And I realized that majority of people have whys. No, no one's asking them about it. And why financial planning is quote unquote important. Like why, what about retirement is important. I, I realized that people were never asked the question, why do you want to do what you want to do? Hmm. Like what is really the thing that you want? And so what, what's, what was perfect is I didn't know anything, right? So you'd come into my office, you would have like a oh crap moment, because you're like, I have grandchildren older than you, okay? Yeah. And I would just sit through that. And then I would start getting clear about what you wanted. 
and you would feel understood. And then what I would do is after you left, I would take, I would take your financial situation. I got really clear in what Spencer wanted. Mm -hmm. And then I would go back to experts and say, okay, this is this person. This is what they truly want. These are their assets, liabilities, cash flow. How can I best help them? Mm. We didn't lose a single client. Um, and through that, I learned a lot about myself. Don't over talk, ask good questions, be genuinely interested in people and like do the right thing, yeah. like genuinely do the right thing. And if you do that, you will be successful in any well, area. What is that adage? Uh, if you want to be interesting, be interested. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that I, as a salesperson for the last decade or so, one of the things that I've discovered is the more you make your prospect or the customer feel interesting, the more they're interested in what you do. And I do far less of the talking than they do most of the time, because most of the people, when you figure out how to ask them the right questions, they'll kind of solve their own problem um, for you and with you, right? right? But you're sort of just guiding them rather than pushing them. I didn't grow up in a traditional sales training track, which is like got to close and got to push and all these techniques. It was like, no, why don't I just investigate along with you? I'm going to help you figure it out, right? And if I help you solve your problem, eventually you're going to buy for me anyways. And so I took a little bit different approach that I've seen work. And it sounds like that was your job in that moment is doing the investigation, let the other folks come in and solve. And then you got to be the hero presenting it back to them, correct? Cool. So how did you get out of banking though? Because I know that's not what you do now. And you're only 27. I want to make sure people that hear this, Caleb is 27. This happened at 19. You've accomplished an incredible amount in your life so far. So what happened after the, after the the bank? So I, I, Worked at the bank till I was 21, and I had, this is gonna sound maybe a little like wooey, but I just I just really realized I was gonna die. Like I'm, I I use death as a framework for a lot of things, and I'm just okay. like I'm gonna die. I think I watched a video of like people regretting not taking risk, and I knew I like knew deep down in my heart that some of the things I was learning about life insurance and taxes and efficiency and helping people with money, I knew that I wanted better ways to communicate, like speak but then also be able to help them online. And at the bank, for better or worse, you have a lot of regulations. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. able to like start a podcast and to do other things that I wanted to do. And so I, I, I had this fear of, again, like, okay, I have a really prestigious gig. I graduated college a year early, which is another oh, wow. crazy, crazy thing yeah, to just- I just had the assumption that because of your no, success, I, you I actually bypassed went to school, okay. um, worked full time, but lived at home. And I just, I had this moment of like, okay, um, I, the only reason I wouldn't leave to start this company is the fear of what other people think of me. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and saying, okay, am I going to let fear what other people think of me or my perception of Mm -hmm. fear? Because majority of people are not thinking about me. They're thinking about themselves. Am I going to let that ultimately determine what I do with the rest of my life? And I just had to be like, okay, if I fail, like do pros and cons, worst case scenario, I absolutely fail. I have a family that loves me. I will never be on the street. Yeah. Yeah. That's like really beautiful. And and so you look at the upside, the upside's like pretty amazing. It's infinite almost, it's yeah. seemingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. The downside is I swallow my pride and live at home and I was already living at home, okay? <laughs> so I was like, all right, so so at the end of the day, leave, leave the bank on really good terms. I think that's another thing that we could talk about at a later time of yeah. like how to leave well, how to keep it. Like I'm a real big relationship guy, but left the bank, two people really believed in me. We started betterwellsolutions.com okay. uh, because we couldn't better, buy betterwealth.com because we didn't have any money. Um, and and I, I say no money, we had $21,000. I lived at home. Our first office lease was $250 a month. And we had this belief that people, if they understand understood efficiency, if they understood the power of what we were talking about with life insurance, there'd be a line outside the door. I had executives at insurance companies laugh at me. They say, Caleb, number one, you look like you're 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Number two, no one's going to trust you on the internet. And number three, life insurance, no one will ever come to you for life insurance. It always has to be sold. And I just said, you're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. I I know like if people understood what I know to be true about certain things like life insurance, they would come to me. Well, what's funny is I think maybe you needed that though. Like sometimes that People saying, well, it can't yeah. be done or you can't do it. Sometimes that is the right level of inspiration and motivation to go prove somebody wrong. And I love that you set yeah. forth to go do it. So what did Better Well Solutions do? Because clearly you didn't do everything that you do yeah. today first. So what was the core thing that you did our, at that our time? Our thesis back then was we are going to help you be more efficient. And my version of efficiency, I have two versions now, but my version of efficiency back then was maximizing control and compounding. So I was fascinated by the power of compounding your money for the rest of your life. And I was fascinated by the ability to control money. Mm. And majority of people say it's either or. You can do this or that. You can control your money, but you don't have compound interest on your side. Or you can compound your money for the rest of your life. Congratulations. But you're giving up control. Yes. For me, when I learned about the power of overfunded life insurance, I was like, oh, 
this is not an investment. People are selling this as a better than your 401k, but I'm like, they're just missing the point. Mm -hmm. When set up and used properly, life insurance can give you the ability to compound your wealth for the rest of your life and mm -hmm. you can have control from day one. For me, that was a light bulb moment to say, I don't have to choose anymore. I'm going to sell this better, efficient, a better place to save and use your money, which is the more efficient way. Like that, that was the thing that was just fascinating to me. Is that when the notion of the and asset yes, came up? Okay, so yeah. that felt like a nice natural segue, but so you are the author of the and asset, yeah. which I meant, mentioned up front. So you were describing as you have compounding and control. Yes. So you view v uh, life insurance as an and asset. So right. why don't you describe in your words what that means? Yeah. Pareto Health is the manager of the largest employee benefits group captive in the United States. And it's also now the main sponsor of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. I chose to partner with Pareto Health for three main reasons. Number one, their dedication to improving the world of health benefits. Number two, their mission to reduce volatility and to make self-funding simple for mid-sized employers. And number three, the strength and scale of their program. With over 2,300 member groups and more than $1 billion of stop-loss premium under management, Pareto Health is the most robust solution of its kind in the country, period. Stay tuned for more information because I'm sure I'll be featuring them on an episode of the podcast very soon. Visit Pareto Health at ParetoHealth.com or follow them on LinkedIn to stay up to date on the latest news and developments. Yeah, so a lot of people when they think of life insurance, they think of an expense, they think of something that you have to pay um, because if you want to be decent, you know, family, uh, to your family, you'd want to pay insurance to cover for if you die prematurely. Yeah. And so that's a lot of people, a lot of people know that. Um, what I was fascinated by is like banks, corporations, and a lot of my wealthy mentors were putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into life insurance. And I'm like, why? Like you you have a successful business, you're really great at investing, why are you putting money into life insurance? And it was because they looked at life insurance as a special contract with an insurance company and they maximized that contract to get as many living benefits. Okay. When I say living benefits, these are benefits that you get while you're alive, yes. which is like life insurance, you can benefit while you're alive, yes. Some of the best benefits to life insurance when set up and used properly is early liquidity, it's very safe. Your money grows tax deferred. You can use your money tax free and you can pass on your money tax free. Okay. So let me unpack that. Yeah. Essentially what they would use this for is they would use, they would look at it as an alternative place to store money. Mm -hmm. Like a, like a, they would compare it to like a money market or a savings account. Yeah. And they would say, this is way better because I'm earning a greater yield. It's greater privacy protection. I have lots of other benefits that my dollars are getting, but i still have control that I can use it from day one. So a People would use it for their business war chest. They would use it for real estate investing and they would save their money, utilize it, but they would get all the benefits of life insurance. Okay. Five, six years later, that has even compounded more because I realized it's not just the compounded growth and use, but life insurance has so many other benefits like the death benefit, the other chronic illness riders. Like there's so many benefits that life insurance gives to your portfolio. Mm -hmm. The ability to have all of that in the future and be able to use that money in the short term, maximizing control is one of the most profound things. And so fast forward, like we have clients in all 50 states and, you know, we have 20 some people on our team. And, and a big reason of that is because we specialize in looking at life insurance and max funding it. Um, and we're one of the top companies people use What's right funny now is well one clearly you proved those early folks wrong which i mean right. obvi that's obvious um but two if i'll put my my dave ramsey hat on for a second and be a little bit yep. grumpy and you know i, I hate a whole life insurance yep. and you know i don't want anybody doing it what is his what is his um argument against yep. what yep. you're describing i'd dave, love to hear that yeah dave ramsey is by term and invested difference and he thinks all permanent life insurance is horrible high commissions no cash value growth you lose your death you lose your cash value and when, when you die mm -hmm. and and this the short answer is he's not wrong for most life insurance like majority of life insurance permanent life insurance high commissions no cash value early on no flexibility terrible growth no good education mm -hmm. Majority, I, I'm saying this as sincere as possible, majority of people are not better off when they buy permanent life insurance. Okay. And if you structure it properly, you can have 85% or more early cash value in the first year. Okay. It, the commissions are one-tenth of what they could be. They do get good growth. And if you have the right education, it's, it's not one of those all insurance is bad. Insurance is a contract. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of contracts are not great. Some contracts can be very 
advantageous. It really comes down to, again, reverse engineering, what are your results? So a lot of people talk about ROR as rate of return. Mm -hmm. I talk about ROR as return on result. What results do you want? And can your financial portfolio, like what's the best thing that you can do, the most efficient thing that you can do to get to those results? And in a second, I mean, I would love to share efficiency. I'd love, yeah, okay. please do. My new definition of efficiency is is removing any friction to get to where you wanna go. Okay. So okay. two things that you need to be efficient. You need to know what you want. And number two is you need to be able to eliminate anything that's getting in your way to get there. So. I now take a step back and say, I don't care if you like life insurance or not. Where do you, what do you want out of life? What does that intentional life look like for you? And what is the best way to get there? Mm. And for a lot of people, they realize, oh, life insurance is an amazing tool to help me get to live my intentional life. But some people are like, no, it's not. And that's at the end of the day, that's the trump card for them. It doesn't matter what my opinions are or how amazing any one product is. It's what are you utilizing to help live your best life? Well, one of the things that you described earlier, which I felt personally um, in certain uh, meetings with financial advisors is the incentives that get set up yep. in some of those uh, programs are so heavily incentivized on comp for the agent totally. that you know they're making an extraordinary amount of money by pushing me this direction. And I even felt it in one particular meeting, like all they wanted to talk about was whole life and very large uh, whole life policy. And it was really stretching my budget you know, financially. And I'm going, guys, I don't, this doesn't feel right, but that's all you want to talk to me about. So I, I sort of understood being on the inside of the insurance world and, and health insurance that they're pushing me because they're incentivized to do so. So do you think, uh, have we done a better job over the course of time to disincentivize that bad behavior that's really focused on the agent and not the individual, or is it still out there? It's it's still out there, and part of the reason why we have education, part part of the reason why I, I hammer this so much is like, I'm super empathetic. I know people are using my book to sell bad policies that line their pockets. And I'm trying my very best uh, from a standpoint, like even in the book, but like consumers, they don't always know better. Um, So that's, that's, that's the tough thing in in anything. It's like, so you could say, well, then Caleb, why are you a fan of life insurance? Because I truly believe it's one of the greatest paper assets that you can have as at the foundation of your life. I, I have hundreds of thousands of dollars in life insurance, which sounds crazy, but it's like one of the, my most treasured assets that's like gives my dollars more than one. It, it's truly incredible. And 95% of people selling life insurance should not. Well, so what, when you say that, uh, you, you mentioned a term earlier that I do want to hear your description of it. When you say overfunded, yep. what does that exactly mean to overfund a life insurance policy? That's a policy? Gr- great question. Um, when, when I say overfund, some people call it max funded. Max fund, okay. What, what I'm saying is what we're, we're overpaying and we're trying to get as much cash in the contract and as little insurance as possible. Okay. And and the and the reason we do that is the insurance is ultimately the cost, is the drag on our cash. Okay. When you overfund, you're getting a lot of cash that you can utilize. You're minimizing the death, you're minimizing the death benefit, you're minimizing the commissions, and wow. you're ultimately getting a lot of cash. So I would be super curious to see like when you were pitched your thing, I bet you you looked at it and you're like, hey, this is gonna take years upon mm-hmm. years to get all and the money I, felt, you- I had the sense that my money was now then kind of trapped yes. inside of it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the feeling I had. But I do want to ask, there, in there, there's restrictions on funding it too much, right? Are there tax yeah. implementa- Im- implications or penalties if you... Yeah, it's there's something called the work? modified endowment contract. So yeah. when you mech a, a life insurance contract and you, and you overfund it too much, mm-hmm. then it, it now becomes a non-tax-free uh, contract. It's, you have to pay taxes on a basis, like okay. anything above what you fund. Um, if you withdraw that money or take a loan against it, the death benefit is still tax-free, but um, that's, so the way around that is just to increase the death benefit a little bit. Okay. So there's a ways around it. So the calculator, I guess you guys probably there's, all... Every company has their own yeah. um, definition of what a mech is. The, 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 the whole concept is you just want to make sure that you're working with someone that can make sure that your contributions are as efficient as possible, but that you're not mecking it. I insurance. see, I see. But so now Better Well Solutions, you said earlier you bought betterwealth.com. It yeah. sounds like there might've been a, a decent outlay of cash in order to acquire it. You don't have to say yeah. how much, but like, so did you buy it from somebody that was already using no, so that? So early on, early on, it wasn't for sale. Okay. And we just had continued to grow. And I was like, man, I can't even spell solutions. Like Better Wealth Solutions, that's such a long domain. And so we just got to a point where we made them an offer and betterwealth.com is our company. That's and awesome. it's, a, it's, a, it's like, 
give you five guesses, you would guess what kind of company we are. So Better Wealth is an amazing uh, brand, yeah. and that is right. And so we do, we not only do insurance, but we have a whole tax side of the business where we do tax planning and bookkeeping and fractional CFO for people. We have a whole RAA, so we do assets under management and distribution planning and retirement planning. And we also have a, a coaching side of the business where we help mm. coach uh, entrepreneurs on cash flow. And we're, we're starting to build out a virtual family office to help help entrepreneurs who need an estate plan, need a tax plan, need all these things, and they're focused on making money, making money, making money. We're like, hey, what if we helped you just put everything together so you can continue to focus on what you're good at? That's, That's all stemmed in the last five, six years of what better wealth is. And our whole purpose as a company is to unlock intentional living because you're not wealthy if you're not living intentionally. And so we're just really clear on intentional living is the wealth metric. We wanna help as many people do that by understanding life insurance, taxes, and other things to give them back in control. So whenever someone's highlighting the product above what you want, run. Okay. But when people can elevate what you truly want and help you get there faster, and you can understand it on a whiteboard, then there's there's a maybe a reason why people well, are leaning into it. Like, give me your kind of your opinion, and your opinion might be slightly different than kind of the average person like me yeah. purchasing a life insurance policy for this purpose. Like on balance of kind of your total wealth, is there a percentage that you recommend should be in a life insurance vehicle versus your house or cash or yep. other securities and things two, like that? Two, two ways of thinking about this. Majority of people are investing their money in the stock market and they're going to do like the 4% rule when they retire. And mm -hmm. so they're going to do that whole, I accumulate money, I withdraw money. I, I personally will go on record and say that's a, not a great idea. Like I just, it's just not a great way to acquire and distribute your wealth. But if you're going to do that, I think you should look at life insurance as a bond portfolio. Okay. So, so if you had um, five or six years of income, we could call that the volatility buffer. Um, so when the market decreases, you could tap into something that's not correlated to the market, let it recover. And I think life insurance overall will be a way better bond than having a diversified equities and, and bonds. Okay. So for majority of people that are like, hey, I'm going to accumulate money. I'm going to take the income out. If that's your strategy, which trillions of dollars are in that strategy, I think you should look at life insurance as a, you know, 30, 40% bond portfolio or less. Okay. And that will just be like, look at it that way. For entrepreneurs, I think of it as a my money's got to reside in store somewhere. So I save majority of my savings into life insurance. Okay. And then I usually invest in businesses, real estate. Right now I'm investing in building our own businesses. I'm using the capital to invest through my life insurance policy. I see. So I am putting, I'm saving a lot more, but I'm not looking at life insurance as the end all investment. I'm looking at it as the place to store my money and utilizing. But if I just kept all my money in life insurance, it would obviously the opportunity cost of it not growing and other things like equities, there's a trade off because I, I'm investing in things that I want. Like I'm not, I don't have a ton of money in the market because my results come from businesses and other yeah. things. So I'm using my policy to finance that and I'm getting the benefits of my money continuing to compound in my policy and having the ability to do other things. And so for entrepreneurs and investors, they can kind of, you can say double dip. It's, there's no free lunches in the space, but it, overall it's more efficient for me to save a large chunk of money through life insurance and use it than just put money in a savings account and then reinvest. Well, so how difficult as, as we're going through this, obviously what you're teaching has a certain layer of complexity, right? I, yeah. I realize when I sell stop loss insurance to people or talk about captives or something, yeah. there's a certain layer of complexity, but you might be working with relatively smart and successful people. You said a lot about entrepreneurs, but may have almost zero exposure of understanding this as a vehicle. Yeah. So how many times are you meeting with, how hard is it to ultimately get them where their head is now wrapped around, they yeah. understand its utility? We do, we do, we have a lot of education. We have books, handbooks, videos. And so majority of people that come to us have a good sense of like, hey, I want this strategy. Cause I, I never want to pitch something. That if someone doesn't want this or is not in, looking for this, it's like, I can make you aware, but I'm not going to like pitch you that this yes. is a strategy. So I'm like, hey, if this is something that you want, um, it's just looking at your financial situation and, and mm -hmm. showing you the different illustrations. And a lot of times it's a one or two meetings, just getting to understand your situation, your numbers. But these things are so flexible. Like we have people putting $100,000 a year into this, but like from day one, if they wanted to shift or change their plan, like they could totally do that. Okay. It's not like traditional life insurance where you're trapped, you have to pay this amount of money. It's like kind of you're on the hook. It's like so much flexibility. And when people understand the massive liquidity, when you're like putting a dollar in and 
from day one, you're getting almost all that dollar back. There's almost very little downside when you understand the power yeah. of life insurance. Well, so you, you one of the things that I think um, maybe we'll shift into that I think is relevant and how we got connected, but utilizing content, utilizing yeah. speaking on stage, you're a master at building out you know reels and YouTube shorts and and kind of giving people little nuggets of what we've been talking about long form, but in a digestible way. There is a term you're using, uh, something leverage. Uh, yeah, va value leverage. Value leverage. I want you to explain that if you yeah. don't mind, because to me, that's how you've been able to expand so yeah. quick. Finding the right PBM partner comes down to one important question. Does it protect you from rising drug costs? When you partner with EHIM, powered by ProCare RX, the answer is yes. The EHIM CARES program is their high-cost drug solution that allows employers to manage specialty medication costs before they arise. As high-cost drugs continue to enter the market, it is essential to have a strategy to counter this growing trend with unparalleled expertise and outcome-driven cost containment solutions. With EHIM's proactive approach, custom formularies, and in-network capabilities, groups are given exclusive access to end-to-end -end solutions that they can count on. More than a PBM, a partner who cares. EHIM, pharmacy benefits managed. Learn more at EHIMRx.com. So when I started Better Wealth, um, I couldn't articulate value leveraging, but I knew that if we could provide something valuable, help if we could help people and then we could amplify that, we would be successful. Okay. So this has then turned into value leveraging, um, which is my one-two punch into any investment that I make or any business that I get into or pretty much any, it's my framework to just dis decisions in general, is it really coming down to if you want to be successful, if you want to have influence, if you want to reach your goals, be valuable and then amplify that value so that more than one person that can touch it. So let me break down value. Mm -hmm. Value is e either in a product or a service. We can only create one of two things. We're, we're right now creating a pretty much a service, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're talking, people are listening. You can either create a product or a service and not all services or products are created equal. A janitor and a heart surgeon are gonna get paid differently mm -hmm. Maybe they're working for the same hospital or they're going to get paid differently because the perception of the service that the heart surgeon is making is a greater value than the janitor. It doesn't make one better than the other. It's just, it's just like we live in a world where all services and products are not all created course, equal. Yeah. So the first thing that if, if we break down like what am I investing in or what am I doing is asking the question, is your service, are you as good of an employee, is your business, is your product as valuable as it could be? What are areas to make it more valuable? Who, and some of the questions that you need to ask is, who's the ideal client that you're going for? Mm -hmm. What problems are they actually having? Like, what are the external, internal problems? What's keeping them up at night? What's making them fight with their spouse? And then how do you solve those problems? And how much credibility and confidence do you have? And how much credibility and confidence do they have in your ability to solve that okay. problem? If you answer those questions and you can get like, this is solid, your check, you have an amazing service, you have an amazing product. The next part is, and we both know people that are incredibly valuable, have an inc they're like the best kept secret. The reason they're not crazy successful, the reason that they're, they're not mm -hmm. serving more people is a lack of leverage, a lack of an amplifier, a lack of, like, a lack of something that's taking their value to the next level. Yeah. And so leverage can come in money, you can take out a loan and that loan can give you the ability to fund and that it's OPM money, other people. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, I, I have a team of 20 plus people is incredible. Like they're able to do things that I would never be able mm -hmm. to do. And so that's giving me leverage. That's giving our ability as a company to serve more people. Um, the, the idea that we have cameras that are right. filming us, that more than one person's going to like, you realize how crazy more than one person's going to watch this. Yeah. We did this one, our input is one conversation mm -hmm. and more than one person is going to watch Well, more that. than one and over the course of a long period of time, it's always accessible and, and searchable, right? So that's what I've discovered is um, going back to some of those stop loss videos I did on whiteboards years ago, three years ago almost, literally right. in July, it'll be three years. Every week I get a message, hey, I, I found your stop loss videos, I love them. I have uh, owners of agencies say, I'm, I'm training my people on your stop loss videos. 
I didn't. I made them three years ago and so have I, not touched them. Don't market them. Don't yeah. Send it to people in the algorithm and just the utility of the platform of a YouTube is continuing to push those things out there, right? So that is the leverage that you're talking about amplifying yep. that leverage. I am fascinated at the reach of something like this little niche insurance podcast ultimately has had because you just consistently get out there and do it, yep. but you capture it. That's the one thing that people don't understand is if I go sit down and have a great meeting with one person and convince them to buy something yep. or I've solved the problem, well, I've solved it for that one person. Maybe yep. they refer. Yep. Maybe they get me in contact with somebody else or tell their yep. friends, or I have the same conversation on camera with you. We capture it. We put yep. it out there. Maybe a thousand, two thousand, five thousand yep. people see it. Yep. That's the leverage, right? Yep. That you're talking. One about. of the best things I did was I filmed every single talk I ever gave from day really? one. Really? I actually had Smart. a um, a Canon camera uh, that I that I got with a with a microphone, and every talk that I would give, I would even film my my meetings and obviously you have to be careful with confidentiality but i just i knew the power of capturing yeah and so here's an example of this i remember going to uh, a, a rotary club okay no no prospects there like we had someone on oxygen we got you know we had we it was like it was not it, it was i got a free meal out of the deal but i got to practice a talk that's cool and i the camera was on me you didn't know that there was three people in the room mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome the man. camera was on me and that was when i was like you know what there's sometimes I say brilliant things and it would be a shame if we didn't capture those because I don't always say brilliant yeah. things. So it's yeah, like, everything's always brilliant, but you only put out the stuff that is brilliant, right? <laughs> right. It makes you look like you're always brilliant. Yeah, like, so document. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm a, and the other big thing that we did is I, I've almost sent 5,000 video emails to this day. Wow. Okay. So I'm a huge, huge fan of personalizing video emails to people, um, whether it's in follow-ups, um, whether it's answering questions or whether we meet and we meet at a networking event, and I'm the only one that sends you a personal video, like, I'm gonna go at to the top of your list. Mm -hmm. You're gonna be like, wow, yeah. that was that was. I really saw a special. gentleman on, online, I, 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 Matthew something, and I wish I could remember his name, but he calls that face-to-face -face at scale. He uses, uh, what is it, uh, bomb bomb? Yeah, that's yeah. what I use. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's face-to-face -face at scale. That was his notion, I love that term, but it's the opportunity to get in front of a lot of people by using video yep. as a way to do that. I mean, it's just brilliant, and I think so many more people want to should lean into this, whether it's this, medium, whether it's just regular right. video, whether it's even posting on social media and providing value. Yep. There's so much opportunity out there if you're just willing to embrace yep. it, man. Well, I want to talk about your book, though, if you yep. don't mind, because we, we glossed over that a little bit, but clearly that's a change, I think, the course of your life. It obviously is sort of uh, undergirded a lot of your businesses that you stood up. So when you sat down to write The And Asset, what was your mission when you did that? Uh, my, the mission behind that was I was sick and tired of having the same conversations over and over and over again. And my whole thing is if you answer the same question more than once, maybe there's a better way to communicate that to, again, leverage, save time. Yeah. So it's like going back to value leveraging, be valuable, amplify that value. That's the one-two punch. And so I was thinking, okay, I believe the message of the and assets powerful. Give your dollars more than one job, multidimensional aspect. It's and is better than or, okay? You don't have to choose between control and compounding. Like I believe if people understood that life insurance is not an investment, you can store and use your money and all these things, they would there would be They'll a line outside yeah, the door. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, how do I capture this? The problem is I don't read. <laughs> I struggle with dyslexia. And so I had somebody that was a lever for me believed in who I was and helped me ghostwrite. Oh, really? so, so what I did was I laid out the and asset and I spoke it, mm. I just recorded it. That's awesome. And through iterations and this person helped me get words and then it was it was a labor of love. The book was a labor of love. But through that, we, we got a self-published book that is far from perfect. Like I cringe when I look at it and I was yeah. like, oh, but it's it's, it's done so much good. There's people to this day that will buy hundreds of books for their own practice because they're like, hey, your book reads like a fourth grader wrote it. And yeah. I was like, great. Like, that's, I think that's a compliment. And people understand it and it's not super salesy yeah. because that's just not who I am. And then so from that, I, I remember the first time someone read the book uh, I didn't know who, like someone randomly read the book, reached out to me and said, hey, I want to buy life insurance from you. I was like, wait, say that again? Yeah. Like what? And then I realized like, wow, that's really powerful that people to this day are listening to my podcast or potentially reading my book or watching YouTube and I'm not putting any time into them. Like that for me, like that's when I was hooked on leverage. And the book for me was like one of the keys that opened mm -hmm. up like, oh, I want to be really leveraging my skill sets because it again, it's addictive when you're like, you do one thing and you know that you can impact more than one person. That's really cool. And I was, I was asking you kind of off camera before, you know, some of the 
purpose or motivations because some people I think will write a book and write a book because, oh, that'll get me on stage, right? Or I write yeah. a book because now I'm credible. I can check that yeah. box. But it might perhaps um, dilute the power of the book itself, right? Because yeah. they did it for another reason yeah. that they just did it to do this other thing. So was that ever intention behind you or is like, I really needed this book out there because it captures yeah, my thoughts? Yeah, I would be lying if I didn't think about my personal credibility because again, I'm 21 uh, when writing this. Yeah, yeah, so I'm yeah, like, yeah. hey, if I wrote a book and started a podcast and other things, that would help elevate my status. So I'd be lying to you if I was just like, I just wrote it for the good of the, I wrote the it, world, yeah, I yeah. wrote it to be strategic in business and so that we could, that people could read it and reach out to us and to use that as a lever to win stages and other things. Sure. So I didn't, there's some people that write books solely off of like, I just want to be an author. I wrote it because I actually thought from a business standpoint, it was one of the best decisions we could make. And what ended up happening was massive benefits came from winning stages and other things yeah. uh, that came so do you, from So book. do you enjoy the public speaking element? Because it. Sound, yeah, because you, you told me your first one when maybe there are three people in the audience, um, but obviously that's evolved over time and yep. you do it quite frequently. So that's yep. a, a common thing that you do, but you enjoy. And so how how has that supported your business as well by being yeah, on I would, stage? I would. ClaimDoc is a medical claim auditing and member advocacy company. We provide fiduciary services to employer-sponsored benefit plans, and allowing them to create an environment where we ensure that the benefit plans are being charged in a fair and reasonable basis. My business is basically people, and it become a real simple transition. We thought it was gonna be far more complex. I've saved, we'll say hundreds of thousands of dollars. I could not say enough about ClaimDoc. Say stages have actually moved the needle more than any other thing in really? our business, mainly because it's one of the most intimate areas. Like when you're speaking in front of 100 people, especially if they're mm. potential ideal clients, you, not only are they captive, you know, they're they're listening to you, but like they, I've just gained some of the best relationships and some of the best clients from being on stage talking about the power of life insurance, talking about the power of wealth efficiency, talking about the power of tax savings, um, even talking about the power of uh, value leveraging. And people are just like, wow, like this is this is great. And and there just seems to be a greater, um, you know, back end, maybe back end momentum that builds when you when you speak. Well, it on is stage. something and I, you don't know this about me, but I, I did do stand up comedy for about cool. five years in Texas. There's something about the dynamic of being on stage. Like it's it's weird. You you literally, you know, yeah. physically you're elevated, but you yeah. almost elevate the stature of a person because they're right. on stage. There's an expectation that comes with it. Yeah. You have to either enter, entertain or educate or something to that effect. But when you have an audience sitting there looking up at you and you're kind of looking down at them, it's this weird dynamic where there's there's almost credibility inherent into right. being on the stage itself, right? So I can see how that would be a really good converter right. uh, to to capture uh, potential customers from. The last thing, Caleb, if you don't mind, and we're not in any hurry to get out of here, but the one thing that I really think we haven't covered that has has definitely exalted your business is using content as one of yeah. those levers. And I mean video content specifically. I see yeah. you on Instagram, like I said, and YouTube. That's how you got onto my radar and I follow yeah. all your stuff. But how did you eventually lean in and discover that I should be making content and putting it out there I as mean, well? Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk okay. was the, I, I remember Gary V. John Rulin, there's a couple other people that have really imp imp impacted me when I first started my business. Chet Holmes was another, but it, like Gary was just like document, 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 and and put yourself out there. And it's like, and if you actually think about yourself and you and you value eyeballs, like we're all in the business of attention, mm -hmm. another lever, right? So the person that has more attention has more leverage than the person that has less attention. Yeah. So for me, uh, I just have always been like focused on that and that now we just we just spend a lot of money like mm. we have team members full-time team members that all they do is take content repurpose like youtube's our main hub and then from there we we put on instagram TikTok. we need to do a better job on linkedin but it's like I just you. By the way, platform. you would you would do excellent on LinkedIn. Okay, and well, we'll talk about this off afterwards. But the, yeah, the, but each think of each platform as just a stage. Mm -hmm. YouTube's a stage, LinkedIn's a stage, Instagram's a stage, and so we have to be thoughtful about that that stage and putting out content that adds value. And and if if we're being honest, I think I give myself a C plus. Really, I'm, cons I'm consistent. Okay, and so my content is is valuable. I think give, give me a, a year plus. I think that consistency is going to compound. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into B and and A content. So and what this, do you think? But this oh, is God. the point yeah. that I want to make yeah. is 
you're not going to be perfect early on. Put True. yourself out there. Put yourself out there. Don't compare to me. Don't compare to Spencer. Like, put yourself out there. Be consistent because consistency compounds. And I'm, I don't like my identity is not in the content that we have out right now. It's what, what, what we're, our potential is. Absolutely. And the only way that we're going to get to our potential is to con- put in the work every it's single 10, day. 10,000 hours yeah. effect for sure, man. So well, tell me about your approach though. Um, you know, I, I would give you much more than a C plus, but I'll let you <laughs> in your humble uh, nature do the, uh, accept that gray. But like, how do you go about coming up with your ideas and then scripting it and then blocking it and shooting it? I mean, you don't have to give yeah. the full spectrum, but curious, like some people that are hearing this might go, I've always wanted to create content, but like that, that starter pack, yeah. if you will, like, tell me where you started. And yeah. You did. The, the biggest, the biggest problem with content is you. Okay. So it's like the biggest problem that like people want to do video emails, but they don't because they hate themselves on video. Mm-hmm. They don't want to do the work. So the best thing to do is to make yourself do it. Okay. So then how do I do that? So, um, I started a show. I think one of the best ways to get started, if you're like, I don't know what to talk about, start a podcast, start some type of show yeah. format. And we talked about this earlier. Yeah. Like you have to be committed, yeah. right? You can't just like, I want to start a podcast, do one episode. Like you have to be committed, but it's like, what are you interested in? What are you curious about? Not necessarily what are you passionate about? Like sometimes curiosity can trump uh, passion because it's like, you're naturally interested in learning more. Mm-hmm. So it's like, bring on other experts. And the beautiful thing about that is your status will continue to increase. Your credibility will continue Mm -hmm. to increase based on the people that you're interviewing. So that was the format that I started with. From there, what really helped us take off on YouTube was just like topics of like answering questions. So like I have a lot of content on life insurance. Um, I have lots of content on like debt, lots of like anytime I'm like, okay, like I'm a big framework person because I have a belief if you can't if you don't have a framework on it, you don't really understand it. So yeah. I tried it. YouTube's is like, hey, in this 10 minutes or so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this concept that hopefully will move the needle in your life. And then what, we, what we've done is we've chopped up those type of videos and my podcast style interview videos, put them on, on Instagram mm-hmm. in like short, short form. And now I've started to intentionally just make videos for short form. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, I'm going to explain this tax benefit in less than 60 seconds right. with the idea that it's going to go on Instagram or whatnot. And we're 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 still figuring it out. Man, it's you and me both. I can yeah. I can sincerely say that and I have conversations with people all the time about about getting started and you know not everybody has a team I, I'm fortunate to have folks that I, I have uh, partnered with to produce yep. this because I couldn't do this to the level that right. I do now but that doesn't mean that has to be where anybody starts but I view it similar to you in this is not only a financial investment it's a monetary right. investment but it's a you know a time investment into a, a longer term uh, strategy for growth um, I look at this back in you know I, I told you to stand up did acting as well where acting would be you have to go and audition for somebody else right you have to work really hard rehearse, convince them in 30 seconds that you're right for that part. You have zero control over the outcome of you getting to perform. If you decide to do a podcast or make your own video, well, guess what? You're the writer, you're the director, you're the casting director, you're the producer, and you're the star of the show, if you will. And so I looked at it as like, well, this is a way to circumvent a lot of the gatekeepers that are out there. And now with all these platforms that exist, there is a pathway for anybody to create content today on your iPhone and upload it in 30 seconds. So there's no more impediments or excuses in my opinion, other than what you said earlier, which is just you, right? Deciding not to do it or getting scared, being insecure. I think once you get over that stuff, you'll realize the power of this. Um, I encourage anybody to at least try it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I don't want to, I don't want to suck up all the, 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 the end of this podcast because this is, this podcast is about you, but Kimmy, uh, if we can, two more questions left that I usually yeah, and include. I, I would I love to add one other thing. Yes, please. Yeah. Can I add one more, more you thing? You certainly may. Okay. Yes. I think, and I've been thinking a lot about this. The number one thing I want to encourage people that are watching, one of the number one things that they can do that's value leverage in their own life is to do a, a video for their funeral. And oh. here, here's what I mean by okay. that is like to get out your phone to actually like you're dead and you're speak you're the main speaker at your funeral and and share with the people that are showing up for you like how much they mean to you what you stood for what you truly like what you truly would your be your last words and here's the beauty of wow. this yeah. here's the beauty of this if you do that you will be you will be a more intentional person while you're alive and whether they use a video or not like I would encourage you to show that video to the, your loved ones before, mm-hmm. you know, do that annually, whatnot. The point is, if you do that, number one, it takes a really special person that can actually do that because you're thinking about the end. Like it's forcing you to think like I'm no longer here. 
what do you re- like who do you truly love mm-hmm. like what is the most sacred in your life and what do you like what do you like what is your life all about and like what would be your last words I think there's something really beautiful about that and how epic would that be if that actually shared like talk about a viral video oh my gosh all, yeah. all time yeah. and even if it wasn't shared it would change the person you are today so that my my whole thing is i'm hoping to build a movement around this is like be the main speaker at your funeral and really be intentional about that and um i'm just i'm hoping to get again more more people to do that and i would love to get a video if, if you're brave enough to do it and you want to share it share it prematurely um i really think that one activity is one of the most valuable high leverage things that we can do in our own life. Well, I love that. And that's actually parallels kind of a conversation out a couple of weeks ago, an episode that's not out yet, but a gentleman named Scott Smith, who's a mentor of mine, a successful business owner. He talked about the notion of living legacy. Like he didn't, he's in, I think he's in his fifties now. He, he could, could have retired, but he loves what he do, does. And he talked about like being very intentional about his life and his legacy as he's living instead of, yep. most people think about the notion of a legacy after their life is essentially done or their career is essentially yeah. done and you have no more ability to sort of impact what that legacy may yeah. be. And so his reflection was going like, how do I do this now yeah. during this point of my life and be more intentional about yeah. the results? I think what you just said was brilliant. I do want to hear though, if you don't mind, Caleb, you're 27. I want to yeah. emphasize that again. I'm 40 and a little jealous of where you are in, at your life, but kudos to you, man. But what I want to say is I know you've got a lot of runway left of what you want to accomplish. So I want to hear in your own words, if you don't mind, what are you seeking to accomplish You know, yep. by the time you're 30 or by the time you're 40? What, yep. What's on the horizon for you? Uh, there's a lot more to give to Better Wealth. So okay. Better Wealth, I, I would like it to be the one-stop shop for entrepreneurs. So pretty much if you're an entrepreneur, I would love for you to go to betterwealth.com and have everything, anything that could better your life from a financial standpoint that like I think of us as the key to unlock that for you. That's what I'm, I'm trying to build uh, and, and have my mind on as it relates to better wealth. And I'm also a lover of business. I love, I love capitalism. <laughs> I love the idea of like someone can open something up and provide value. It's again, value leverage. Like you can go provide value and you get paid for that value and, and you get to serve people and employ people. Mm. Like I love that. Um, and so um, besides better wealth, I someday would love to, you know, have a fund where I can invest in amazing businesses and um, grow them, cash flow them and whatnot. So those are those are the two things. Business for me is a platform to serve other people. Going back to my mission to help people see and reach their highest potential. If there's a better way for me to help more people see and reach their highest potential, I'll do that. Right now, business is that best platform for me. Awesome, man. Well, I love it. And I can't wait to see, uh, you know, what you're going to achieve in the next few years, man. And I'll be watching closely. I, you already kind of laid out a great call to action. So I don't want to ask you to do the same thing of closing thoughts. But what I would ask is, you know, you mentioned betterwealth.com. How would people find you on social media? Yep. Where would you encourage them to do so? Yeah, so um, Caleb Williams on on LinkedIn and Instagram. And you can always email me at Caleb at betterwealth.com and if you mention Spencer we'll, we'll we'll do whatever we can to serve we have lots of cool resources and w- the big thing is if if you're like I'll do whatever I can to serve your audience awesome. and so well, yeah. and likewise, man, I'm, I'm so uh, proud of you and I wish you much success. And I'm hopeful that maybe we'll do this every once in a while yeah. just to catch up, man. But so Caleb Williams, thanks for coming down, man. And I wish you uh, nothing but the best. Thank you, man. I really appreciate your intentional questions, who you are, what you've built. It's an honor to be on the show. My pleasure, man. Thank you.